Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the NJ Podcast. This podcast aims to share stories, tips and insights about achieving success while having fun. From topics ranging from personal development to business, entertainment and sports, the podcast will have conversations with experts and people in their respective fields. The podcast will also share insights from Jabra James's published and upcoming books. The tagline, which is the theme of the podcast, is success is a progressive realization of a worthy ideal. This means that you are doing what you have always wanted to do because it is aligned with your highest values and this is the only way you can live a truly fulfilled life. Your host, Jablo James. are live. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is Njablo James, the host of the NJ Podcast, where we talk with people from all walks of life, whether you are a comedy genius, someone who's a, an author, an entertainer, a person who has got a lot of um, uh, stories to, to share and, and insights to give, because uh, I honestly believe that we all have a story deep down inside that is very valuable to everybody out there. And the theme of the podcast is success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. That means you're going after what you've always wanted to go after and it's aligned with your highest values. And that is the only way that you can live a truly fulfilled and inspired life. And on the show today, I'm super excited for this man. He's a visionary. He's a pioneer. And he started one of the, the, the enterprises that changed my life for the better. His name is Art Bell. I'm going to read his bio and we're going to get into the conversation that we have uh, here today. So Art Bell is a writer and former media executive known for creating, building and managing successful cable television channels. His memoir, Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor was published in September 2010 by Ulysses Press. While working at HBO, he pitched the idea of a 24-hour comedy network which he helped develop and launch. Art went on to hold senior executive positions in both programming and marketing at Comedy Central. During that time, he also co-authored a humor book entitled Web Sightings, a collection of websites we'd like to see after leaving Comedy Central. Art Bell became president of Court TV, where he was, guide, was a guiding force behind one of the most successful brand for evolutions in cable television. In addition to writing, he plays piano and jazz drums, Art Bell currently resides in Greenwich, Connecticut, and Deer Valley, Utah, with his wife. Find out more about Art Bell at Art Bell Writer. Thank you very much for joining me, Art. Ah, great. Thanks for having me here, NJ. Really a pleasure. Yeah, it's the pleasure's all mine, sir. So I want to I want to get straight into it. How was it like starting Comedy Central? So it's like one of my favorite enterprises ever. So what do you understand? Well, it it, it was. Um, one of my favorite enterprises ever, I will say that. It was certainly my greatest business adventure ever. Mm. And that's why I, you know, I wanted to write the memoir about it. Mm. I titled the memoir Constant Comedy because it was about putting together 24 hours of comedy, which is a lot of comedy. Yeah. You don't realize how much comedy that is until you're responsible for shoveling comedy into this channel every day to mm. make uh, 24 hours. I subtitled it um, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense mm. of Humor because yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to suggest to people who probably don't think much about it that uh, Comedy Central was not shot out of a cannon, fully formed, totally successful, up and running, ba-boom. It was difficult. And yeah. the first year, the first year we started this, it was, I, I came to work every day thinking they were going to shut us down. That's how, oh, wow. that's how badly it was going. Wow. And so every day you had that anxiety feeling that you were going to, they were going to shut you down. Where did, where did that come from? Were you, you know, were the, were the ratings not up? Was it not being, uh, take the uptake that you expected? Well, you know, listen, I, I knew that we were a startup and I expected as a startup, we'd have sort of a runway mm. to, uh, find our footing, prove ourselves and everything else. Now, at that time, let me just tell you a little bit of the background. I had, I was working at HBO, home box office, mm -hmm. which was, of course, very successful at the time. And as a kid, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little later, I loved comedy. So comedy had mm -hmm. been my passion for years, but I was not working in the comedy business. As a matter oh. of fact, as a matter of fact, I went 
uh, into the television business to, deliberately to try and get closer to comedy. But I had no idea how I would get, you know, how it, I would become part of the comedy business or the television business, or if I was just going to be a peripheral, you know, person doing what I had been doing, which was finance and marketing and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I did pitch HBO on the idea of an all comedy channel. It was originally rebuffed. Mm-hmm. I pitched the head of programming the idea mm-hmm. and she said, stop. I don't want to hear any more. A 24 hour comedy channel. That's the worst idea I ever heard. Oh, wow. And she went on to tell me about no comedians are going to want to be on it. It's nobody wants a 24 hour comedy channel. Nobody's going to watch it. There's a lot of television comedy already. I mean, she gave me all kinds of reasons. Then she says, you know, thanks for coming by. And I walked out of her office thinking, okay, well, that's dead here. Yeah. HBO obviously is not going to start a comedy channel. So maybe I better start looking elsewhere. And I started thinking about maybe going to another company with the idea. But along the way, my boss's boss passed by my office one day. He said, what are you working on? It was late. And I was working Mm -hmm. on my proposal for the channel that I was going to send to other companies and try and get a job, actually. Mm. (laughs) And he took a look at it. And he said, wow, this is great. Let's go talk to the chairman of HBO. Mm. And I said, okay, well, that sounds great. And he says, well, let's go right now. Now, oh, wow. we walked down the hall, took the elevator, and I had no presentation. I had no idea I was going to be talking to the chairman of HBO. And I was a lower level employee. For me to walk into the chairman's office was a very big deal. Let me just say mm-hmm. that. I mean, if I walked in... If I if I accidentally ended up in the elevator with the chairman of HBO, Michael Fuchs, I would break into a cold sweat. I mean, that's how powerful this guy was, you know. Mm. Anyway, we went in and I pitched my little heart out for 15 minutes uh, and Michael got interested and Mm. he said, all right, let's give this thing a try. But getting back to your original question, it was harder than anybody thought, including me. Mm. Yeah. So, like, where did, where did the genesis of the idea come from? What, what, what was the light bulb moment? You're like, aha, I think I've got this good idea for a 24-hour comedy channel. Well, it's going to surprise you, I think. I, I, went, I had been working as an economist in Washington, D.C. Mm. Uh, and again, I always loved comedy, but I really had no concept of how to get into the business. I mean, I'd done a little performing and a lot of writing, you know, I'd done, written some comedy in college and in high school, but I really just didn't think it was a viable career option for, for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent three years as an economist in Washington, which I loved, by the way. I mean, you, yeah. I know this podcast is a lot about doing what you love. And I loved it. I had a great time. I was working with very smart people. I was very yeah. smart at that time. Uh, when, and that has since gone downhill considerably. <laughs> but uh, at the end of the three years, I thought, you know, I'm not sure I want to do this for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. And I decided mm-hmm. to literally change the channel. And I went to business school to see what else there was out there. Um, and while I was in business school, the second year, I wrote what was called the Wharton Follies. I was at a business school called Wharton Business School. Oh, what's the Wharton Follies was a musical comedy done by the students. Now, mm-hmm. that may sound kind of haphazard, but a lot of the students had been professionals in the business, in the television business, in on Broadway. They'd been actors and choreographers, and they had come back to business school to get out of the business. They wanted to go to investment banking or you know, oh, okay. consulting, right? But anyway, there were all these talented people there. So we put on a very professional show. And mm. I wrote the show that year, and it was very funny. Mm. And uh, I was also in it. But as I was writing it and as I was doing it, I was reminded how much I loved comedy. Mm. And it was around that time I thought, you know, looking at the television business, which I wanted to get a job in, there's no television, there's no all comedy network. Why is that? How can Mm. that be the case? Why has nobody put together an all comedy channel? There was an all sports channel. There was all uh, news. There was all music. I was stupefied. Mm. So when I went looking for a job, I ended up at CBS. But that was the moment I thought, why is there no comedy network? Why Mm. don't I start thinking about what it would look like? And that's when I Mm. did that's that's amazing. So, because uh, a lot of people have this thing where that they feel because I'm in marketing or finance, I can't transition over to a different field. But you were able to do that because you had this uh, love for comedy. Yeah, I think 
I think it was my love for comedy. It was also, it was also at the time I felt like, you know, cause I was basically right out of school. And mm-hmm. I think that's a time when people are more likely to consider themselves capable of doing just about anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you get embedded into a career and you're 15 or 20 years into it, yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it's harder to change. But at that point, I was really, I really felt like I was at the beginning of my career. Anything can happen. And I mm-hmm. was responsible for making it happen. Remember, I, mm-hmm. I walked out of a, what was a, a considerably better paying job yeah. as an economist to go into a relatively lower paying job. I remember mm-hmm. when I graduated from college, I'm sorry, grad school, um, and took a job at CBS. I wasn't being, I was being paid like half as much as I was making when I left Washington as an economist. And I remember my dad calling me and saying, uh, okay. You just spent two years and a lot of money on business school and you're taking yeah. a paying job. How is this going to work? And I said, <laughs> don't worry. I'm going to make this work. Okay. This is yeah. a temporary financial setback, but that this is what I want to do. I want to be in the television business. I want to see how it works. Mm. That's, uh, that, that's an amazing thing. A lot of people don't have that, um, that, what they call risk appetite or courage to go and say, I'm going to make this work, even though, I'm, I'm in a much considerably better position, but I'm going to pursue a passion uh, uh, for, for, for comedy. Do you think that if you didn't uh, go this route of um, going into television and starting Comedy uh, Central, that you would be happy? I like to think so. I mean, I, I certainly done, I had done things before comedy, um, mm. outside of the business, inside of the television business. Um and I certainly did things after Comedy Central mm. in television, lots of things. And I, I, I just consider it a great career, even though it's a little bit of a checkerboard of a career. You know, mm. I, I, I always like the idea of doing a lot of different things. Mm. Yeah, so, now, so, yeah. Not so different. I mean, I stayed in the television business after comedy, but I like the fact that I had experience as an economist. And I want to mm. point out a couple of things. First of all, every job you get builds on the other jobs you've had. Mm. And so people say, oh, you were an economist and you went into television. Yeah, believe me, being an economist was a great financial background, a great economic uh, understanding of economics was a great background for going into any business. Mm. And it really served me well. And as a matter of fact, I got my first job at HBO because they were looking for someone to do subscriber forecasting. And oh, wow. a friend of mine called and from the from HBO, he says, you're the only guy in television that I've ever <laughs> run into who knew anything about, you know, econometrics and and forecasting. And I got the job. That's how I got to HBO. Mm-hmm. So I want to point that out. And second of all, I'm flattered when you said I was courageous or I had the courage. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like courage at the time. Let me tell you, you know, those are, those are those are scary moves. And, and you know, it, it feels like you're taking a chance. It does. And mm-hmm. it wasn't I, I didn't have so much faith in myself that I thought, oh, this is going to be just perfect. You know, everything's mm-hmm. going to work out great. I knew it was taking a chance and it was a little scary. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it like, uh, I, I commend you on that. <laughs> I commend you. A lot of risks that I wanted to take and then I was a bit too afraid to do so, but I'm got to get into the place in my life where I'm overcoming that fear. So um, the question is, uh, I want to ask you next, next is, so you start a Comedy Central First year is really rocky. It's just really tough. You said that every single day you felt like you weren't yeah, in charge. There's a reason for that. Yeah. I think if I think if we had started comedy, and at that point it was called the Comedy Channel, because comedy that's channel, what we named yeah. it. Because what else would we call an old comedy channel? But the Comedy Channel. So that's yeah. what we named it. I think if we started outside of HBO, we probably would have gotten a little bit more leeway to screw up at the beginning. Hmm. But HBO was the most successful television company at the time. You got to remember, mm-hmm. HBO was like Netflix is now. I mean, it was just an explosion of success and an yeah. explosion of creativity. They were doing television differently. They were, I have to say, they were responsible for putting uncut stand-up comedy on television. You could not see Robin Williams act uncut mm-hmm. anywhere in the world other than seeing Robin do it on stage live. Until comedy, I'm sorry, to, until HBO came along and did That's these comedy thing. specials. Yeah, 
that were uncut, had the bad language, had the craziness, had the, you know, the, the, the blasphemy and everything else that went along with, with some of these comedians' acts mm. uh, for the first time on television. So that was a big deal. Mm. But before we launched, Michael Fuchs, as I said, the chairman, who mm. loved the idea and wanted it to be a success, mm. um, really bragged about it before it started. And he had a wow. huge press conference months before we launched that I was at. And Michael said, he got up there and said, this is going to be the best cable channel you have ever seen. HBO knows how to make television better than anybody else. We are going to do a comedy channel and the comedy channel is going to be the funniest thing that ever hit television. And he's saying these things at the press conference and I'm, I'm going, Oh, please don't, don't do this. Don't do this because (laughs) it's obvious. Now he was kind of setting himself up for a fall, but on top of that, Michael Fuchs had just been named the most powerful man in Hollywood by the New York times. Okay. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And so when we launched comedy and it wasn't instantly the funniest thing and all the other things people promised mm-hmm. he, that he promised the press just had a field day taking it apart. I mean, here was payback time for the most successful man, the most powerful man in Hollywood mm-hmm. just is, is launching a flop. And that's how they put it. You know, mm-hmm. this thing is a flop. It's not media funny. Can be vicious. Eh? Oh, <laughs> they weren't pulling their punches. And yeah. I, felt responsible to a certain extent. I mean, you know, I was just a kid in the business, right? But I had sold HBO on the idea of doing this and mm-hmm. I felt very responsible. So when it, it was reported as a, as a failure, um, it was not, it was not good. And I had to keep it going. You know, I had to keep mm-hmm. myself pumped up and we had to keep going to work every day and trying to make mm-hmm. it work. Yeah. So the gates go, keep it going, keep it and show up. I can't imagine how tough it would have been, it was because now your reputation's on the line. Uh, the the person who believed in you, his reputation's on the line, and now every day you feel like, oh my, oh my God, they're gonna find me. Like again, I honestly believe that you are a very courageous well, person. You're absolutely right. Let me point out that my reputation would have been the equivalent of a beat up Volkswagen compared to the <laughs> reputation of the chairman who was driving, uh, you know, a Maserati. Okay, yeah. That that's the difference. I mean, if I, my reputation, I was young enough that it would have been really bad. It would have been bad personally for me if the, if the mm-hmm. channel failed. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Michael Fuchs really felt he put himself out there. And he, he's where I got the subtitle for the book. Mm-hmm. Because he I, called I me in. That. He called me in three months after we launched. And he said, you know, Art, it took a comedy channel to get me to lose my sense of humor. The humor. <laughs> and he wasn't laughing. And I wasn't. He wasn't. Laughing. Laughing. Yeah, no, because, nobody was laughing. I mean, this was serious. Mm-hmm. This thing looked like it was going to not work, and mm-hmm. it was a very serious moment. Mm. So, what was the turning point uh, from after the rough year where it started picking up, the success started picking up, and it, it was deemed okay? So, Art Bell actually got this thing right. What was that turning point? Well, let me say it this way. I mean. I had to keep myself going through it all. And I saw mm-hmm. markers of success even before we launched. Remember when the head of programming said, no comedy, no comedian is going to want to be on this channel? Before we launched, we heard from lots of comedians who were very grateful and flattered that we were launching a channel for them. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how they felt about it. The comedy writers, the comedians, the comedy world said, oh, the musicians have their channel. Suddenly yeah. somebody's recognizing comedy as a similar art form, as a similar mm-hmm. endeavor uh, worth launching a comedy channel about. And they, they started hanging around. They, they came to us. The second thing that was a marker of success before we launched to me was, um, and I don't know if, if everybody's familiar with the show, but was Mystery Science Theater 3000. Is that a show mm-hmm. that's familiar to you? No, I'm not familiar with that at all. What's it about? Well, it, it, it became a hit for us. And what it was, was uh, a guy and two robots, and they were played by comedians, talking to a movie screen that, mm-hmm. was, that show, was showing a very bad movie. And they were making comedic 
remarks. They were making funny jokes about what was going on in the movie. Now, mm -hmm. you and I could do that and it would be kind of fun. But these guys were brilliant com comedy writers and comedians. And it was so funny. And this came in the mail to comedy to the comedy channel with a note. They sent a tape. They were producing this by themselves in Minneapolis. And they sent a tape and it said, hey, we hear you guys are starting a comedy channel. Is this a television show that might be interesting to you? Mm -hmm. And we got on a plane and we flew out to Minneapolis the next day because it was so brilliant and it was so innovative that we knew that it was going to be a success for us. Uh, and we knew no other, no other network would put it on. It wasn't going to go on yeah. the network. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, innovative comedy coming to us. You mentioned South Park. That was another example years later where yeah. South Park found us, you know, where we, yeah. you know, they wanted to be on comedy, on comedy central. So even though there were th those markers of success, we were not instantly successful. Mm. Mystery Science Theater 3000 got noticed early on, started to build an audience. And even though, you know, the first year was hard, we were starting to build an audience with our programming. Yeah. And the question was, could we be successful enough that they wouldn't shut us down? And that was really about making enough money and reaching mm. enough eyeballs and getting enough momentum mm. to be considered worth reinvesting on in on a constant basis. Now, one thing happened during the year that I'll mention is we got competition. Oh, wow. Ooh. Yeah. And, you know, as somebody who just launched a comedy network, the last thing I needed was competition. I, mean, it's just <laughs> like, okay, I got enough headaches here. Okay. Now I need to compete with someone else. It was my first lesson in, in, in business in that, you should never underestimate the competition. And who is yeah. the competition? MTV Networks. Oh, okay. MTV Networks was very successful. And when they, when they heard we were launching a comedy channel, it was literally the day after our, our press conference. They put out a press release saying, we're launching a comedy network too. And we're <laughs> going to call it Ha! The Comedy Network. Now, <laughs> what they had at that point was a press release, okay? We had mm -hmm. been working on it for six months. They had a press release, mm -hmm. but that was competition. And six months after we launched, they launched, ha, the comedy network. Yeah. There you go. And we, we went head to head. It was called the Comedy Channel Wars in the press, who was, again, having a field day with this. <laughs> but from my perspective, you know, yes, it was competition, but I had to chuckle to myself. You know, mm -hmm. a year ago, people said com a comedy network would never exist. Suddenly there's two yeah, and they're fighting for, you know, distribution. They're fighting for audience. They're fighting for talent. They're yeah. fighting for television shows. Mm -hmm. We both were bidding on reruns of Saturday night live, drove the price up incredibly. I mean, it was the craziest thing you ever saw. Yeah. And it, at the end of six months after they launched, we were merged. Mm. We were merged. And I got a phone call saying, Hey, you know, we know you've been fighting tooth and nail to be the, the dominant comedy network and put the other guys out of business, but we're merging you. And to me, that was tremendously disappointing. Why was it disappointing? Because you wanted to see the others go under. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we have, first of all, <laughs> no, well, listen, you know, your listeners, your viewers yeah. of this podcast know that if you're in business, competition is what gets you going. You know, that's what, yeah. you, that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. That's what gets your blood up. Mm. You know, we are going to beat these guys and watch us. And mm. that's, that was our attitude. Mm. <clears throat> and I think it helped. You know, I, I, I've always pointed out subsequently in my career that having competition is not only inevitable, mm. but you have to take advantage of it. You yes. have to take advantage of the fact that competition is what's going to keep you going and everybody working on it going because mm. it's it's exciting mm. and it makes you think more creatively and it makes you act and work more effectively and it makes yes. you work harder mm. so all that again yeah we were trying to kill the other guy <laughs> <laughs> you say we, <laughs> we were waiting no we were waiting for the announcement that ha was folding right. it up and folding their tents and going out of business because the comedy channel was so was much a, better, had yeah. more audience and better concept and everything else. And we thought we did. Yeah. And then they merged us.
And it was like, boy, talk about, hey, you're going you're gonna to give in without a fight? That, that's not fair. And I was very <laughs> upset. Like what you're hearing so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking subscribe now button. Follow on YouTube, Instagram, and other platforms listed. Also, check out the website for more information. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for the support. Now back to the show. I was very upset. I had to wonder if I had a job after that because you know what murders are all about. Yeah. They fire yeah. everybody in sight and start all over sometimes. Um, yeah. And I was worried about that. But luckily, I, uh, I was put together with the head of programming from the other channel. They threw us in a room and they said, you guys figure out what it is mm-hmm. and what programming is going to. And by the way, you have to figure out how to rename it. And I said, wait a second. We got to name it the Comedy Channel. And they yeah. said, no, no, that would make it look like the Comedy Channel was prevailing. And the other guy said, but, well, we can name it Ha. And they said, no, you can't name it Ha. So we had to find a new name. I came up with Comedy Central. Comedy Central came up. And we came up with Comedy Central, yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's amazing. As you see, you've got a competitive spirit there. <laughs> the way you put it now, I can now understand why. You'd be like, ah, what we, because you started this thing, you were humiliated, and then you started winning, and then anti-climax, anti-climax you know. There was no, those are punchlines to close this joke. It, it, was, it was a very crazy moment. And, you know, mm. I often say, you know, you say, what was it like launching the Comedy Channel? People ask me yeah. about that all the time, you know, which became Comedy Central. I said it was really, really hard. But when they say, well, what was the merger like? I say it was really, really, really hard. <laughs> it was hard extra hard. Be- because, first of all, there was an expectation that out of this pile of you know the of the two channels we would form a successful channel but our channel had been different from their channel Mm. and our philosophy and our corporate culture was different from their philosophy and their corporate culture putting mergers together is 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 a is a tough undertaking you know that i mean how many mergers fail you know how many how many big companies buy other companies it's a big merger and then it doesn't work you know, five years later, they're trying to figure out how to divest. Uh, and that's what we were faced with. And on top of that, there was, there was a little bit of scuttlebutt that the, guy, that the corporate entities that merged us didn't really expect us to succeed for more than a year. They it thought does. we would fold. We would, mm-hmm. They thought we just wouldn't figure it out. But mm-hmm. we did. Yeah, that's that's the, that's a very important thing. So, um, what uh, so what caused you to leave Comedy Central once it was was was, was very successful? Because uh, it seemed like you had a lot of growth and uh, you achieved a lot. So, what was the point where you say, okay, Comedy Central is a um, massive uh, a thing? What, what why am I going to leave? So, what caused you to exit Comedy Central? Well, I don't want to sugarcoat this too much, but I was fired. You're fired. Oh, wow. Yeah. A lot of people say, wait a second, you were fired from Comedy Central. Didn't you start the whole thing? Yeah. Didn't you work there for eight years? Didn't you, you know, help help put it on the kind of solid footing that people would build on for the next 25 years? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this is this is Comedy Central's 30th anniversary. Mm-hmm. We launched Comedy Central 30 years ago on April 1st. But the answer is, yeah, I was fired. And um, it it really is another important lesson for everybody. I mean, I I said at the time, hey, what do you have to do to keep a job in this town? (laughs) (laughs) How How about you start the whole company? How about you help make it successful? You know, does that not give you enough juice to keep your job? Mm. And the answer is no, it doesn't. Mm. Um, you're never guaranteed a job for life. Yeah. I I was upset, but it's not like I was totally surprised. The entertainment business, the television business, mm-hmm. is a pretty rough and tumble place. And in my book, I mm-hmm. talk about how most of the people I was working with were constantly getting fired. So, <laughs> uh, and and. And I'm often asked by people who read the book, geez, you know, we know corporate life is tough, but that sounds like crazy. Mm. Okay, I'll I'll cop to that. Yeah, it was crazy. 
but yes, I was I was fired, and uh, it was a, it was devastating for me at the time. Mm. So is that how you lost your humor? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you know, I I have. I, I've retained my sense of humor my whole life and I will never stop loving comedy because it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's such an important part of, of who we are as a, a species. Let me go that far. Yeah. Um, we, we, we learn to laugh at each other and with each other in order to keep from killing each other. Uh, mm -hmm. And maybe that's a, that's too broad of a statement, but I'll stand by it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, um, I, I had some bad times. I mean, there were, there were bad moments. I mean, again, when, when Michael Fuchs mm -hmm. basically telling me that, you know, the channel was failing, it was kind of my fault that we got into this in the first place and I had better do something about it or else, which is wow. what he was saying. That's not a, you know, that's not a real chucklehead moment. It, it, mm -hmm. it really, but you know, you, you lose your sense of humor for minutes at a time. I guess not. Mm -hmm. It's not like it goes away forever. I will say that after I was fired, I had never been fired before. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it took me a while to absorb the fact that people who do nothing wrong are sometimes mm -hmm. fired because of circumstance. You mm -hmm. know, they brought in new management. The new okay. management said, I got the, the new head of the channel. Kept me around for a, a little while, but he ultimately said, look, I can't keep you here. He said, your fingerprints are all over this place. Mm -hmm. And I have to start fresh, right? You know. Oh, uh, okay. So that's that's why that happened. And, mm, so, um, yeah. so it was a circumstantial thing. So it's not that hey, Art Bell is uh, pariah. We don't like him. It's the fact that he had a vision, want to start again, and that's right. collateral damage. So that's so right. That's right. I was collateral damage, and so a lot of other people who helped put the channel together were collateral damage. And and I had a moment of trying to decide. Am I going to let this firing define me or am mm. I going to move on? Mm. And uh, of course I moved on. I mean, I was young. I, I wasn't really planning to retire at that age, nor yeah. did I have the resources to retire. Yeah. Um, I had to get back to work. Mm. So, but I, I will say there were some bad moments in the, you know, in after I got fired in, in that year or two before I reemerged as uh, at, at core TV. And took yeah. on that challenge. Um, yeah. So, what was the best thing about uh, comedy, uh, Comedy Central, about being a Comedy Central while you're still there? I think the best thing, and also the most surprising thing, was there I was suddenly in the comedy business. Mm -hmm. uh, because I loved the comedy business. I didn't call it the comedy business. I loved watching professional comedians. Mm -hmm. I loved watching sitcoms and, and comedy movies. I loved reading comedy. I loved thinking about comedy. I was a comedy nerd. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to end up doing something that you've been thinking about and loving and enjoying your whole life mm -hmm. is, you know, the classic, hey, wow, how did this happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, and there were, there were moments of, you know, uh, of that, I, I remember once very clearly being in a in a taxi cab with mm. our head of ad sales, a guy named Larry Divney, who actually went on to be head of uh, Comedy Central years later. Um, and he he had been there at the beginning with me at Comedy Channel, and we were going. I don't know. We were going to the airport because we had to go to a convention or something. And he looked at me and he said, "Hey, isn't this fun?" Mm -hmm. I said, yeah, it's really fun. And yeah. I started laughing. The two of us are giggling like kids, you know, mm. saying work is not supposed to be this much fun. We're having the greatest time. Of our life. Ever. And we're high fiving and the cab driver's probably thinking, who are these crazy guys? But it was just, it was just one of those moments of realizing that at least for a, a few minutes, hours, days, you feel like, man, here we are, you know, here I am, here it is. It was great. That's amazing. That's amazing. And not a lot of people have, can say that they've had that experience where they've had for this five minutes, five hours, five days, five months where they're like, I'm actually really happy. I, I can't believe that I'm actually like living this dream. That's, that's, that's an inspiring thing. Um, 
Well, I, I will say this. I will I yeah. bring it up that people don't often find themselves in that, those positions. Yeah. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. I think that part of the reason that I went on in my career and I did a bunch of different things. I was at different, worked for different networks and stuff and enjoyed it. And people always say, well, man, comedy, that was so great. How, how did you have such a good time at Court TV? Yeah. It was completely different. And the answer is I got interested. And I think that that's the ticket. Mm-hmm. I had the ability to get interested, fascinated by whatever I was doing. And I wanted, there was something deep inside of me that wanted to learn about it and wanted to learn how to make it work, you know, learn how to, to be good at it. Um, and I think that's something I try to convey to my kids who are, you know, starting out in their careers that wherever you are, you know, you have the chance to enjoy it because mm-hmm. what's better in the world than having your boss say, Hey, good job, you know, or getting a promotion. Even if you're not thinking this is the greatest place for me to be, those moments are very special and they're very life affirming. And you should look mm-hmm. at them that way. You know, you should look at them as, you know, you're doing something that people are appreciating. Now, I'm not recommending you stay in horrible jobs that you don't like <laughs> just because somebody says you did a good job. Yeah. But I am saying that you should really kind of consider, everyone should consider their circumstances and what the possibilities are. I was at HBO. There was no possibility I was going to start a comedy channel. Zero. Yeah. yeah. But I tried, you know, yeah. I tried and it, and it actually worked out. It was It was about luck, but yeah, it was about making my own luck. And it was about being serious and having a vision and thinking about all the things I love. Those are all things that are available to everyone on earth. I mean, mm-hmm. this is what your podcast is about, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's a progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Um, and what you're basically saying is that some people are trying to look at the end product. They're trying to look at the end goal and the results, and then they forget about the beautiful moments along the way. And then sometimes they'll get to the end and they'll be like, well, is this all there is? But what they fail to do is to look at uh, the, the, those moments. Like, for example, you high-fiving your friend in the, in the, in the taxi. Um, you sign and bring on a new comedian. You getting promoted. It's just those life-affirming moments. And what you find is people miss that, regardless of whether they're in a job, job that they like or they don't like. They just don't look at the precious moments along the way. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I think that's important. Yeah. So a question I have, uh, I'm a big fan of comedians. Who are your top, favorite comedians? Who's your, your top five? If you could give me like a top five. Well, my top five are Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor. I mean, <laughs> Is that it? <laughs> well, no, I, yeah. I, I, we could talk about other comedians I like. And yeah. I, I get asked this question a lot. So I've done a mm-hmm. lot of thinking about it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Richard Pryor was a great stand-up comedian. He was a great writer. He was a great performer. He had a great persona. He was, yeah. a great, he was a great human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I first saw Richard Pryor when I was a kid. I was, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly how old I was. I probably could look it up. But it was Richard Pryor's first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show, which was a weekly variety show in the 60s. And that's where all the comedians went. They either went there or they went to Johnny Carson, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the two places comedians could show up on TV. Now, I couldn't stay up and watch late night TV Mm-hmm. So I watched the Ed Sullivan show mm-hmm. and this skinny 20 year old kid in a black suit and a skinny black tie comes on and starts talking about his experience as a black kid in Peoria, Illinois, getting mm-hmm. beat up on the playground. Mm-hmm. And I just thought even at that young, first of all, it was brilliantly funny, mm-hmm. but looking back on it, I often thought about that routine, about how he he conveyed how scared he was. Mm -hmm. And people were laughing like crazy. And I'm thinking, man, I go through that stuff too. I Mm -hmm. I get beat up on the playground. Everybody gets beat up (laughs) on the playground once in a while, except the kids Mm -hmm. doing the beating up. But, But not only that, but conveying essentially the black experience, the black American experience at that time and coding it in comedy so that it was accessible mm. so that people listen to it because mm. imagine he just got up on stage and said listen i had a terrible childhood i yeah. went to i went to school i mm-hmm. was one of you know 
a few black kids in my class. I got beat up every day. I'm like, who's listening? Yeah. You know? Who's listening? But he didn't do that. And I thought at that, at that point, I really saw the power of comedy. Mm. And then, you know, you go back to um, satire, which I became a great fan of. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Swift, A Modest Proposal, mm-hmm. uh, which I studied in high school and be, and really tried to emulate. I wanted to write satire. That's, that was my first kind of dream to write mm. satire that changed the world. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, we can talk about more comedians if you like. Yeah, so I heard, yeah, because like it's, because uh, on many comedians, uh, top five list, Richard Pryor is right up there with uh, George Carlin. And why they say Richard is that great is because he would talk about personal issues and he would be very, be able to relate that. Is that something that you found in Richard as well? Yeah, and amazingly, I did relate to it. Um, mm-hmm. George Carlin, of course, you know, one of the most brilliant stand-up comedians ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, you know, dominated the comedy album world for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, at a time when there was Bill Cosby albums out, there were, um, mm-hmm. you know, Bob Newhart had started doing albums uh, years before. I'm trying to think who the other big... Robert Klein, you know, mm-hmm. Robert Klein, who was my... my hero uh and and the and my favorite comedian when i was a college kid it was really uh something special but you're right richard Pryor was doing what i call confessional not what everybody calls confessional comedy he didn't invent you know lenny bruce in the late 50s early 60s or maybe mid 60s was doing confessional comedy i mean lenny bruce got arrested on stage a hundred times because he was talking about (laughs) no he did he got arrested on stage wow i mean for people who don't know lenny bruce um and i'm a big fan of comedy history although i wish i knew more about it but i I read a lot about lenny bruce lenny bruce was called the dirty comic Mm. he wrote a book called uh his autobiography was how to talk dirty and influence people (laughs) <laughs> and yeah i know but no i i recommend that listen i'm here to say read my book i published that in september of 2020 but yeah lenny bruce wrote a book that i'm also encouraging you to read um mm-hmm. about what being a comedian in the 60s was all about what his yeah. life was about and it was confessional confessional comedy he told mm-hmm. everything about the fact that he was a, a heroin addict that wow. he was arrested that he got in yeah. trouble that yeah. he wasn't as funny as some of the other people he knew um, and grew up with. I mean, he just laid it all out there, not only in his book, but in his comedy routines. Yeah. And he was very funny. So, um, yeah. And then what do you make of uh, Dave Chappelle? You know, I, I, I will say this. I have, I obviously I know Dave Chappelle. I've watched his shows. I've, you know, seen his stand-up. I think he's, uh, I think he's a great comedian. I wouldn't call myself a Dave Chappelle fan, you know, okay. I, I just, um, I'm not sure why, you know, mm-hmm. I think his stuff is brilliant. Uh, but, you know, his recent dust up about, you know, Comedy Central uh, stealing his shows and his identity. I thought, yeah. that, was, I thought that was a little overblown, actually. But, <laughs> um, I wasn't there when his show came in, so I had okay. nothing to do about it. But yeah. listen, and like every other comedian he calls it the way he see it and that is yeah. so important for comedy mm. we stop we shut that down and comedians were in big trouble mm. and he was a trailblazer on tv with his original show I, you know, yeah. I, I, yeah I i i i i think he's a great comedian but you know you don't have to be a fan of everybody to think they're yeah <laughs> that's very true that's very true and uh one of the things that is uh see can be an enemy of comedy is people wanting to censor comedians and uh, tell them that you should, this is what you can and cannot talk about. If you talk about X, Y, and Z, you're going to be canceled and your future's over. And if you can't laugh about everything, I think then that takes the joy out of, uh, of life. I think, I don't know. What, what do you think about people trying to censor comedians? Well, I think it's terrible um, mm. as a blanket, you know, response to that. Uh, mm. That said, I acknowledge that there's a line that mm-hmm. gets crossed. Now, when Bill Maher pitched Politically Incorrect, which is was his first show, Bill Maher is now on you know mm-hmm. uh, HBO with his show, I think it's called 
Late Night with Bill. I don't remember what it's called, but he's basically been doing the show for same show for 25 years. When he pitched his show, he said, look, I want to do a show where we step up to the line and we cross the line all the time. Now that's, that's how comedians define it. Like, uh, I know there's places I shouldn't go. I know there's places I should get in trouble. I can get in trouble for, but I'm going to go past that. And then I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to go past that. Then I'm going to come back. It's the going past that is where it gets really interesting. If we're going to keep comedians from going, from stepping over the line, who's stepping over the line? Yeah. I talked about Richard Pryor coding things in comedy so that we take another look at them. Mm. And comedians, the opportunity to view the world through a comedian's lens Mm. is one that we don't want to dismiss out of hand. We don't want to say, no, I don't want to see the world that way, the way Mm. that comedian is saying. Because, in fact, maybe that comedian has something to offer in Mm. terms of how to deal with a difficult issue. Listen, the rise of women comedians over the last 30 years, you know, Mm. and there's always been women comedians. But they've really taken a much more dominant position in the writers' rooms, on st- in stand-up comedy. Uh, they were a big part of Comedy Central success, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't have to list who they are because we know who they are. Mm-hmm. Part of what they were doing was talking about being a woman in America in the '90s or the 2000s or whatever. How else were we going to know? You know, yeah, mm-hmm. there's other things you can do, but they were bringing that to their audience, and it was very important. I'm sure that some people thought they were crossing the line mm. many, many, many times. You can't talk about that. Don't talk about that. That's, that's yeah. a, you know, or, you know, birth control, abortion, you know, yeah. um, uh, rape, all the things that, that got talked about by women that led to the Me Too, Too movement for, mm. you know, for one thing. Yeah, and it led them to being uh, to finally get having the voice that they cried out for quite a lot of time. Right, I don't that's sure. Yeah, I, I, I've got to say there is a line, yeah. and everybody has their line. Yeah. So turn off the TV, walk out of the club, do whatever <laughs> you have to do. But but don't say, don't mm-hmm. say you can't say that to anybody. Mm-hmm. That that's not worth. <clears throat> excuse me. That that it's not worth listening to your opinion. Mm-hmm. Or your comedy because it crosses my line. Yeah, that's that, that's a very important thing. Um, which is, uh, I that's why I disagree with some people who say that they shouldn't say this because it offends me. Yeah, it offends you, <laughs> not the entire world. So if it offends you, then maybe um, it's not something that you should be listening to. Um, at that point in time, that's just uh, what I feel. Now, next question: com- yeah, Comedians yeah. do bad things. And that's <laughs> You know, I'm, Bill Cosby is in prison and mm-hmm. one of the funniest guys ever, but he mm-hmm. did very bad things. And that's yeah. that's a different kind of uh, yeah. situation. And I want to make that distinction. Doing yeah. bad things is different. Versus sharing your worldview. Yeah. Um, it's a completely different thing. Yes. Um, I'm just being conscious of time. I want to ask one of the final questions is, Writing a book is hard because uh, I've done I've done two, I've written two books myself, and I know that you've do, taken time to write this book. So I want to understand how has this process uh, changed your life, and what are some of the insights that you've learned about yourself uh, for you to put this memoir together, reflect on it, go through the journey, go through the emotions. How has that impacted you? Well, first of all, you know, I talked about Comedy Central being a great adventure. Writing the book was a great adventure. Yeah. You know, it really, in, in ways that I had no idea would, would occur. First of all, it put me in touch with a lot of people I worked with and knew from 30 years ago. And remember, I was writing about one of the most creative endeavors in television history, trying to get a comedy network together. Mm. And to hear from these people and to see how successful they've been in the business and to laugh about the old times and to reminisce a little bit uh, has been just a gift. It's just been mm-hmm. a gift that I never expected. I never expected. Um, secondly, I will say that I, this is a memoir. It's not a history yeah. of Comedy Central or even the story of Comedy Central. I didn't write it to be that. Of course, you learn about Comedy Central and how it started. And, but it's my journey. It's my viewpoint. It's my recollection. 
I didn't do a lot of research other than dates for this mm -hmm. book. And I remembered things differently than maybe some the way someone else remembered it. And maybe mm -hmm. I misremembered them. But yeah. that's what a memoir is. It's your understanding mm -hmm. what of, of what the situation was. And it's very personal. Mm -hmm. I had to learn how to write memoir. I had to learn how to turn myself inside out in a mm -hmm. way that is very uncomfortable for me, mm -hmm. frankly. I mean, most people can't do that. I admire memoirists who go way further than I did and talk about, you know, really horrible things in their life. I thankfully didn't have horrible things in my life, so I mm -hmm. didn't have to talk about those. But I did want to give people an understanding of exactly what I was doing. And I knew I wasn't going to do that by describing the situation without talking about my being scared, for example, or my mm -hmm. being worried or upset or emotional. I remember when, when my wife started reading some of the stuff I was doing, she said, man, you can't say that. It makes you look like you weren't in control. You weren't strong. You weren't, you know, I said, I wasn't in control. I wasn't <laughs> strong. I mean, why, why, what do I want to do? This isn't an advertisement for Art Bell's brilliance. It's the story of how I got through all this and enjoyed it and had good days and bad days. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a very deep thing. So you were able to show your vulnerabilities, your weaknesses, your faults, and your failures, um, and just take your readers along the journey. Yeah, that's 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 right. And to, and to um, and to talk about other people. That was another mm -hmm. challenge. Writing about people you know and respect, and writing about people you know and didn't respect. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you do that? You know, mm -hmm. how do you in a few lines describe somebody? in a way that's going to serve the reader, that does justice to the person at the same time. It's like drawing somebody, you know, it's like sketching somebody. You want to get it right. You certainly can't get every pixel when you're drawing somebody, mm -hmm. but you have to get enough lines and enough shading so that when you turn that picture around, the person says, yeah, that looks like me. And mm -hmm. I wanted people to see themselves in my depictions uh, mm -hmm. in the book. And for the most part, I mean, I haven't heard from everybody. I think I was I was I was successful because people say, man, mm. you it was more it's more about people saying, man, you really captured so and so. That's exactly how she is. That's exactly how she was, you know, or he was whatever. Mm. That's amazing. Like, I, I'm actually much inspired to see if I can <laughs> write a memoir. I, I can imagine it's a very emotional thing to do. Um, it is emotional. I mean, you know, I, I this sounds like completely stupid, but sometimes I read something I read. I wrote and I write. I write because I like to write mm -hmm. and I like to read the stuff I write. And sometimes I read stuff I write and start laughing. Wow, that was really <laughs> sometimes I, you know, and sometimes I read it and I, you know, I tear up a little bit, you know, I, I would get emotional thinking about some of those things. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's how you know your writing is effective. If it affects you mm -hmm. uh, when you're writing a memoir, then you know you're effective. All right, cool. So um, as a, as a final question, Art, what is the most important thing to you and what's the most important lesson you've learned throughout this entire journey well that's a tall order isn't it um, <laughs> i you know I, I i i tell younger people including my children um who ask me about about life lessons and stuff that I don't know if I actually was doing this, but I advise them to be bold and take chances mm. because I find that people who are bold and take chances have more interesting lives. That's all, you know, have more variety and have more opportunity to be successful mm -hmm. uh, and to learn them, learn about themselves and, and the world. Uh, so it's about being curious. It's about yeah. really trying to understand as much as you can about the world in the, you know, short time that we have here. Mm. Uh, so I, I think that's what I've learned. And as part of that, let people drag you places, you know, mm. let people, I, I, I give as an example that <clears throat> I was approached when I was in college by somebody who said, Hey, we're putting on a musical. We want you to audition for it. And I said, I can't sing. I can't dance. 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, I've been on stage and I'm kind of funny, but I said, no, 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 we want you to audition for it. I was so not interested and not confident enough that I could do any of it. But I let myself be dragged into it. It was one of the greatest experiences of my career. I was in a musical. I got to sing with a a full orchestra. They taught me how to sing. They taught me how to dance. I learned how to be a better actor. Um, And again, it was really easy for me to say no because I was scared to death. (laughs) But let yourself be dragged into things. Let, Mm. Let the wave take you wherever it takes you instead of fighting against it. That's amazing. That those are really, really inspiring words. Um, I, I hopefully I can live that way myself. You know, <laughs> so, I hope so um, too. I hope so for you. <laughs> yes, so hopefully, hopefully I can do so. So uh, before we conclude, let's go to a quick speed round. So this is where I say a word, and I want you to give me the first idea that comes I'm, to you. I'm, I'm older and slow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, it may not go as quickly as you think. <laughs> <laughs> all right cool let's, uh, let's start okay ready comedy central proud comedy wonderful family the most important thing success defined as you define it all right eddie murphy <laughs> Thank you, God, for giving us Eddie Murphy. Gunny Google. Delirious. Cool. Kevin Hart. Nothing. Nothing. Oh, okay. Wow. George Carlin. Innovator. Writing. Difficult yet fulfilling. All right. And the last one, education. A lifelong process. 100%. 100%. And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been myself with Art Bell, the founder of Comedy Central. And he has published his latest book, Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. And that has been him on the latest episode of the NJ Podcast. And remember, guys, that success is a progressive realization of a worthy ideal. That means you go after what you've always wanted to go after because it's in line with the highest values. And that's the only way I feel that you can live a truly successful and blessed life. So thank you very much, Art, for your time. Thank you. Can I, say, can I say one more thing? Yeah. I encourage everyone to buy my book and read it. 100%. Where can you get access to, access to your book? It's available on Amazon and it's available internationally. You know, anybody can buy it. So uh, I hope, I hope people, I, I hope people buy it and read it because I think it's, it's interesting. Uh, and, and, and some of the stuff we talked about today, you know, it's in, it's all in there. Yeah. I'll be sure to get myself a, myself a copy. Um, and then also we'll be sending you to your website, www.artbellwriter.com. And yes. that has your bio, press clippings, interview you did with uh, yourself, your blog, and where you can buy your book uh, on Amazon and some more contact information so people can send you questions, reach out to you. Yes, please do. Interviews. Please check yeah. it out. And we're doing a podcast for the 30th anniversary, limited series oh. podcast. I'm yeah. doing it with Vinny Favalli, and it's yeah. called The Comedy the Constant Comedy Podcast with Art Bell and Vinny Favalli launches April 1st. April 1st. I'll be sure to uh, check it out. Yeah. Cool. Uh, cool. Thank you very much, Art Bell, um, uh, for, for your time, Thank your you, wisdom, Andrew. and your patience. As This has been a, a, a pleasure uh, for me to Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me. Thank you yes, for inviting sir. me. Thank you for joining us on this episode on the NJ Podcast. Make sure to visit the website at the njpodcast.captivateair.fm where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, all the other podcast platforms or via RSS so you never miss a show. You can also find the video content on the YouTube channel and Instagram page. That will be in Jablo James on YouTube and jablo.j.ngosi for Instagram. Please subscribe and follow on those platforms as well. And while you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on the podcast platforms. Or if you'd like to tell a friend about the show, that will help us out too. 
If you'd like more information about published or upcoming books, visit www.njablojames.com for more information. Please reach out if you'd like to share what you would like to hear and which guests should be invited to the show. And remember, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal, which means that you are doing what you have always wanted to do because it is aligned with your highest values and this is the only way you can live a truly fulfilled life. Now just chill until the next episode.